This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. You may or may not remember that last year on this show, we talked about something called the Great Pollinator Project, where New Yorker citizen scientists were being enlisted to observe, count, and identify bees in different areas of New York City. One of the people who runs the Great Pollinator Project is biologist Kevin Madison. Madison's a postdoctoral teaching fellow in Fordham's Biological Sciences Department. And this week on the show, he's joining me again for a little bit of a bee-related field trip in Pelham Bay Park in the North Bronx, right off the Cross Bronx Expressway. When we're not listening to the sounds of nature, or cars, or chainsaws this morning, we'll also be hearing from a few musicians on the subject of bees, specifically Tom Petty, Muddy Waters, and bluesman Slim Harpo. But now, here's scientist Kevin Madison. Currently, we are at uh, the largest park in New York City, which is Pelham Bay Park. And we're standing by a large jogging track and, I guess, a football field here. I guess it's actually a fitting place to start because there's uh, most of what parks have been managed for is recreation. And that's great. It's great to see people out uh, playing and exercising and so forth. But we're going to take a look at the biodiversity of the parks and specifically what bees are here. There are a lot of bees in New York City. So we're going to try and find some. We're going to go for a little uh, bee hunt, if you will, in the park and just see what's out. Got a, a insect net for catching bees or butterflies and, and we can get a closer look at them. So we're gonna we're gonna try and find this um, bee garden that uh, the Parks Department and specifically um, the Greenbelt Native Plant Center has initiated putting these these bee gardens into New York City parks. There's 18 now across the city. There's one in Central Park. There's one in Prospect Park, and these bee gardens are just places where we hope, for one, that they'll attract more pollinators, which is good, and um, also that people will be able to go and observe bees and other pollinators and, and learn that they're not, they're not dangerous, they're not going to sting, they're just something you can, you can watch and kind of a different way to enjoy a park. How do you uh, attract bees? Well, the first thing is to think about what you're planting. So a lot of what we plant in the urban environment is are plants that are designed to be have really showy flowers and sometimes that's good for bees and sometimes it's not. Some of the flowers actually don't any longer have pollen or nectar and so they're really showy. They're beautiful flowers and we like to look at them as humans but for bees they're they basically attract the bees but then there's nothing there for them. So it's kind of doing a little research and trying to find what are good you know, bee-benefiting plants. And actually, if you, you do a Google search, you will find lots of information on spe specific plants you can add. But some things, you know, people put in their yards, like hydrangeas and hostas and those very common things, some can be good for, for pollinators and some are not. Some have very little value. Okay, so here we are at the uh, Bee Observation Garden. You can hear... Uh, the uh, 95 interstate in the background, also the din of cicadas above us um, in these sweet gum trees. So it's 
kind of a unique spot, but we have um, some Rubecchia, which are black-eyed Susans, which are in bloom. But a lot of this area, it's still being established. So we have 20 plant species planted in this area and they're perennials. So they're gonna come back year after year, but they often put a lot of energy into their roots the first year, and then they really take off as, as they, they continue to bloom. And the idea is that at any given time you come and visit here, there'll be at least something in bloom. Um, so it will start to look more like a meadow as time goes by. We have goldenrod right there that's starting to bloom. Goldenrod's a great plant, especially for late, late summer and early fall. And that's when, when bees are, are often really trying to find flowers for, for pollen and nectar because a lot of things aren't, there's not quite as much bloom usually during that time period. So goldenrod's a good one. Asters are a good late season. And those are also, asters by the way, are also important for things like migratory butterflies. So like monarchs will come and get a little nectar from those asters and that will allow them to do that migration they do. So thinking about when you have things blooming is really important. This is the first time I've seen this spot, so it's kind of cool to see it put in. This took a lot of work. Um, several thousand plants added all over the city um, to put in these, these, these uh, bee gardens. So in the net here is uh, sort of a medium-sized bee. <clears throat> it's not a honeybee. It's a different type of bee. We have 227 species of bee that we've identified in New York City. Um, so a lot of people just think bees, they think honeybees but we're really trying to let people know about all these other species that are here and that are wild and that live, set up nest sites and, and live on their own in the city and actually are pollinating our gardens and so forth. So I'm just putting in this little glass vial and I'm gonna show it to you. You can see what, what colors do you see? I just see uh, it looks brown to me. Yep, brown to black with um, a little bit of white on the legs. And this this bee, its scientific name is Melisodes bimaculata, and uh, it's very common. It's 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 a type of longhorn bee. It's called. Um, it's called that called the longhorn bee because not because it actually has horns, but because it has very long antennae. Uh, the antenna are very, very, almost about two-thirds of the length of the body. So the antenna really stick out, and you can see it's, it's rubbing its back legs, and um, it's kind of irritated at being in this little vial. <laughs> so we'll let it go in just a second. Um, but this, this bee actually makes its, its nest in the ground. It's a ground nesting bee, which most of the bees, they dig holes in the ground. And this is also a solitary bee. It lives alone. It doesn't live in big groups like honeybees or even like bum bumblebees. It lives alone, just a female that lays eggs and then brings pollen to those, to the larvae as they develop. Uh, once they start developing, she, she essentially leaves them. And so uh, this is just a different life history. So we'll let it go. Didn't sing you, didn't attack us, wasn't too angry, right? No, no, not at all. And there's a there's a couple sort of fuzzier bees over there as well. Right. So those those bigger ones there are bumblebees. So we'll go over and take a look. You can see it. 
if I tried to grab this bee through the net, it would sting me. Uh, this is a bumblebee, and it's a female. Only female bees have stingers, and this one is buzzing and vibrating, which is a defense they, they have that kind of says, back off. Um, but what I'm gonna do is just let us get a closer look. Is it sticking the stinger through the, or no, that would be, the stinger's no, on the butt, it's right? it's sticking, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's on the, the tip of the abdomen, we, we would say. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it was sticking its antenna through the mesh on the net. So, so this is, this is a bumblebee, and most people have heard of bumblebees, but this is actually, the, the, the species name for this is the common eastern bumblebee. And its scientific name is Bombus impatiens. Now, when you talk to people about scientific names, they don't get excited about the name Bombus impatiens. So we're trying to get these, some of these bees to have common names that people can relate to a little bit more. So common eastern bumblebee, that's its common name. And basically the idea is there that it is our most common bumblebee in New York City, certainly. And what that means is that it is really, really important for pollination. If you grow tomatoes in your garden, your community garden, your private garden, or anywhere around the city, wherever you have a spot, this bumblebee is likely very important to the production that you're getting. I encourage people to kind of look and see what they have and realize and, and thank a bee, you know, because really when you're tasting that delicious tomato from the garden, that had its roots often in, in pollination by a bee. Let this guy go too. And again, not not angry at all. Didn't try and sting us. No um, revenge on its mind. No, it just went over and landed on that purple flower. Yeah, we're right back to work, right? So we were just in the non-bee garden area. We were just sort of among the decorative plants there. It's a more established garden. It's been here for for a longer time, and it's an ornamental garden. This is the thing. I mean, ornamental gardens that this was not planted with, most likely this, this area we just were in was not planted with bees in mind, but was more planted as a place to see, just to, to be beautiful flowers and to add a little color to the playground. But it happens that that often has a secondary benefit for bees. But if we looked at this closely, some of these flowers are really attractive and some are not. And so what we're just trying to say is be aware of what you're planting and think a little bit about it from the wildlife perspective. You're listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. I'm on a bee hunt with biologist and Fordham teaching fellow Kevin Madison. Early on in our walk, just after he'd swept up the first bee in his net and we looked at it closely, Madison suddenly took a little bit of a detour to an area underneath one of the park benches. What is it you're doing? I'm just looking under these park benches. Um, city park benches are often used by carpenter bees for their nests. We'll see if we can find a better one, but... <clears throat> 
carpenter bees bore into the undersides of those park benches. That's why they're called carpenter bees. And some people worry that they're, they can cause structural damage, but usually they're, they, they don't get to a massive density in most cases, but um, in some cases people do wanna remove them. But they make these perfect circular cuts out of the wood that are, that are about the size of a dime. And then they crawl in there and that's where they, the larvae develop. The next generation of bees is developing in New York City park benches. <laughs> Carpenter bees, that is. <clears throat> Aha, here's one. Good. Okay. So yeah, so so under here, under this bench, actually, it feels this this particular wood feels a little bit softer um, than than the other one we were looking at, and so I think that's why maybe the carpenter bees in, like this wood. But there's there's a perfect circle here, and there's a hole that goes up from underside of the bench into it. And if we could dissect this bench and cut it up, we would see the tunnel. And potentially, I don't know if this one's in use now, kind of doubt it, um, but we could see how far they bored in and where the chambers were for, for rearing the, the young carpenter bees. So it's just kind of an interesting thing that they like these city benches. Allergic to poison ivy? Probably. Probably. <laughs> so, uh, I'll go first and make sure we don't come across any on the path. Okay, so we've just been walking on a path through the woods here. It's been shaded. Bees don't really like the shade so much, but we're about to come into this nice clearing up here where there's this meadow, and we are going to see quite a few bees here. Take a look at this bush. Uh, it's actually not a bush. It's a vine. It's porcelain berry. Um, it's in an invasive exotic vine, but it's also a vine that produces flowers that some bees really like. And what we see on here, there's probably about um, just in our field of vision, going all the way up on this vine. There's probably about a hundred honeybees. So most of what you're seeing with these uh, brown, sort of golden brown stripes with black stripes on the abdomen, which is the sort of the back of the bee, those are honeybees. And the question is where are they coming from? Because there must be a hive nearby here. Now I know there are beekeepers in the city that keep bees even though technically it's illegal currently. But my suspicion is that these honeybees are living in a wild, are, are what we call feral honeybees, which means they're living in an abandoned tree um, cavity somewhere in this park. And there's probably somewhere around 60,000 or 100,000 100, of these honeybees in that hive. 
So if anyone could find it in Pelham Bay Park, it would be pretty cool to see up in this tree, this mass of bees going in and out as they're coming back from getting nectar and pollen. So, okay, so this looks like, um, you, you see how this one, it's, its abdomen uh, is yellow as opposed to the other bumblebee we saw, it has yellow hairs on its abdomen, whereas the other bumblebee we saw had a little bit of yellow and then it was black. You'll have to trust me on it, but it was. So this is a different species. This is, um, I believe its common name is the yellow bumblebee, which is, which is perfect. Um, but this may be actually, actually looks like a drone. It looks like a male. And you start to see males emerging around this time, late summer. And uh, that has to do with uh, mating, of course. Basically the males, when it comes to bumblebees, emerge, mate, and die. Let this guy out. So, one of the main things to, to think about when you're looking at all these honeybees is that it's great there's a lot of honeybees here, but these are not native bees. And so, when you look over here, there's one bumblebee, and there is some concern that if you have a, a ton of honeybees, this one species, what does it do to all the other wild and many of which are native bee species? because there could be competition for nectar and for, for flowering resources. So we think it's good to be aware about honeybees and people love honey and so forth, but also realize that that may have impacts on the other bees to some degree. It hasn't really been studied, and so no one knows for sure, but theoretically it makes sense. There's a carpenter bee up there. Uh, that giant one right now drinking using it. They have a long tongue, just like butterflies, not quite as long as, as butterflies do, but it's, it's essentially licking up some of the nectar from this plant. So, so when you watch bees, actually, sometimes you'll see them dipping their head into a flower, and that's when they're getting the nectar, but then you'll also see them sort of rolling around in the pollen, and that's when they're getting the pollen. So when they're really messy and they're rolling around and they're sort of rubbing their legs all over their body, that's when they're getting the pollen, and when they're dipping their head in, that's when they're getting nectar. And nectar is the, the sugar resource, and that's kind of what keeps them going. It's kind of like their coffee. Um, and then the pollen is their, their protein, is their actual, the sustenance that they, that they need for their larva. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Sail on, sail on, my little honeybee, sail on. Keep on sailing Till you lose your happy home Just after the show, it's Cityscape with George Bodarkey. On today's show, a look at the broken windows theory of crime. That's ahead at 7.30. On Fordham Conversations this morning, we've been looking for bees with insect biologist Kevin Madison. As we walked, I asked Madison to tell me about a couple things we've been hearing about a lot lately colony collapse disorder and bee swarming. So colony collapse disorder is, um, is, is something that affects one species, the European honeybee. 
which is Apis mellifera. It's just affecting that one species. It's not affecting all the other bee species. So in terms of the, we have 4,000 bee species in North America. Those are not affected by colony collapse except for the honeybee. And, um, and it still is a problem for honeybees and for honeybee keepers. And they're still trying to figure out what causes it. It's this sort of X-Files type mystery. Um, and there's a lot of different theories. And I believe the latest is that it seems to be a variety of different factors. Um, there's some links to pesticides and new types of pesticides. There's some links to a virus. Bees, just like humans get sick, bees get sick. So there's specific viruses that affect them. And so there's some links to a virus that may have emerged from um, uh, uh, elsewhere outside of North America that then got transmitted to the, to the honeybees that are here. And so there's, there's all different sorts of things that could be causing it. In terms of swarms, swarming is just a natural behavior of honeybees. And it's something they've always done. Um, and the reason they do it is usually that the hive gets too crowded and new queens emerge. New, new queens are, are produced. And what happens then is that there's a, a, a split in the, in the hive and either the new queen or the old queen is kicked out. And when they leave, a bunch of the workers, a bunch meaning thousands, fly with them. And then they have to decide where are they going to set up a new hive. And instead of just having chaos and them sort of flying all in different directions, oh, you know, some going one direction, they swarm. And so the swarm is actually, the queen is in the middle of the, the swarm, and there's all these worker bees around her. And then scouts fly out in all different cardinal directions and, and look for a new site and come back to that swarm. And then they do the waggle dance, which is their special communication, where they do this dance. They literally dance, and it communicates exactly how far and what direction the new hive is that they think they should go to. So eventually they all decide it's a great um, example of sort of consensus and um, decision-making in, in animals in, in sort of a complex way. So it's not harmful. It's not, um, it's not something that people should be scared of um, because it's not like they're aggressive when they're in that state. They're just trying to figure out what to do. So they're really just a traveling party. Yeah. Yeah, they're just caravanning around. They're kind of looking, looking for where the next spot is that they can set up shop. So. And only honeybees do it? Uh, yes, only honeybees do uh, have swarms because the bumblebees are the other social bees. Um, there, there are other social bees beyond bumblebees, but bumblebees are the most well-known. And what they do is a new queen sets up just, she's the one that decides where the colony is going to be each year. It's just a one person. It's, it's a, uh, a uh, uh, totalitarianism. It's, it's, she, she makes the, the decision and then it's set up um, uh, from there. But with honeybees, it's a group decision. All right, I wanted to go through here. Let's see if we can. Yeah. Okay, so this, so I've, you remember the bees we've, we've already encountered? We had a bumblebee, we had a, Mining bee, or a longhorn bee rather, and now we have a honey bee. And that's what you sort of think of when you think right. of a bee. Yep. 
Although it's kind of confusing because, you know, on the box of like Honey Nut Cheerios, for example, they have something that at least it used to kind of look more like a, like a wasp, like a yellow jacket. And that's why people often see yellow jackets and they think those are bees. Is because is there's also whenever you see like, um, you know, people in bee costumes and stuff like that for baseball, I don't know, there's different groups. They, they often have the bee as having these bright yellow and black stripes, which is more akin to yellow jackets and paper wasps, which can be a little bit more aggressive. So anyway, on the back of these legs, you can see that there's um, this little sort of fuzzy area, and there's a, on that back leg, they have six legs, they're insects, and on the back legs, there's a little spot where they can carry their pollen. This one is just starting, because it's grocery bag, so to speak, of pollen is not very full. But, um, but given enough time out here, it will fill that all up, and then you'll get something like this bumblebee. You can see on the back there, you see that little bit of, of um, sort of like a brownish orange um, color. That's pollen on the back legs, so it's gathering it up. You sort of the bulbous thing? Yep, it's like a, like a little, uh, little round ball. We, we call it a pollen ball, that it sticks onto its back legs, and that's how it carries it. Sometimes you'll see bees with so much pollen that it looks like they can't even fly. And those are, those, are, those are ones that are really bringing back a lot of good stuff to their, to their uh, colony. Most of the focus has been on colony collapse disorder, but there are other things happening with bees. There's a few bumblebee species that we're concerned about uh, in North America. And also in Europe, there's been a few bumblebee species that seem to be declining. For instance, there's a, uh, there's a bumblebee that it used to be very common, and since about 2000 or so, we can't find it anywhere. There's been maybe one or two sightings of this bumblebee. Um, and so, so the question is just, what's, what's happening? Is it, is it related to diseases and, and movement of diseases from other bee species? That's one, one idea there. But most bees, we unfortunately don't know anything about their status. <laughs> we have a name and maybe one specimen in a museum somewhere of, of this bee species, but we don't know whether they're increasing or decreasing. We don't know what flowers they visit. We don't know how they live. And, you know, considering their importance with pollination, that's kind of, it's kind of unfortunate that we don't know more about them. And that's why you're doing stuff like that pollinator thing. Yeah, I mean, people are amazed that there's 227 bee species in New York City, and that most gardens, even in the most urban areas, like. Where, where I did some of my studies were in the Bronx and East Harlem, where there's, there's a lot of development, not much green space in many, many of the neighborhoods. And you can have a community garden, and if you have the right flowers, you can have 20 or 30 bee species just in that little tiny community garden, as long as you're thinking about what you plant. So I think people are kind of excited about that, that they're actually here, and that they seem, some species seem to do well in the urban environment. There's a lot of things like peppers, sweet peppers and tomatoes and stuff like that, which are grown in greenhouses. Obviously, if you're in a greenhouse, you don't have wild bees pollinating them, so you need to bring in. So what they'll do is they'll bring in bumblebees. And so they've been using um, a variety of different species. Unfortunately, they've also been bringing over bumblebees from other parts of the world. And so moving around not only the bumblebee species that are not native, but also pathogens that the bumblebees carry. And that's when I was talking before about those, those three or so bumblebee species in North America that seem to be decreasing really quickly. It coincides almost exactly with 
bringing over these non-native bumblebees for greenhouse pollination. So it's something you got to be real careful with. And that concludes our tour. For more information about the Great Pollinator Project, go to greatpollinatorproject.org. From WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can drop us an email at fordhamconversations at wfuv.org. We would, of course, and as always, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at wfuv.org, and it's in our audio archive as well, which you can also find on our website. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful weekend. Well, I'm a king bee Buzzing around your eye Well, I'm a king bee Buzzing around your eye Well, I can make honey, baby Let me come inside Sting it then. This is WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org.